speaking of contentment, you have <laughs> remained content through it all. Just oh, like, certainly. Just like the Apostle Paul. Oh, my That's gosh. You. That's a good segue. <laughs> Welcome to the Athens First UMC Sermons Podcast. I'm Sarah Lawing, Director of Online Productions. We hope you'll enjoy this weekly resource. Be sure to keep listening after the sermon for some additional conversation. Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 11 and continuing through verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians at Philippi, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for Your Word which speaks to our hearts this day. We come to this time with an open heart and with an open mind. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart uh, be pleasing to You, O God. Amen. These are the times that try men's souls. Thomas Paine published that on December the 23rd, 1776. The nation was in its infancy. Those had to be difficult times. Those had to be challenging days. We can understand that. Those words may apply well to our time as well. These are the times that try men's souls. We're in the midst of a global pandemic that is affecting the economy, that is taking the lives of hundreds of thousands of people and affecting the lives of people in so many significant ways. It is affecting the world's economy. It is a life-altering experience and it is a life-threatening experience. Uh, we're in the midst of a difficult period of time in our lives, a time that is unlike any other that I've ever had in my life. I'm sure the same can be said uh, for you. Uh, and so what, what do we glean from this? What do we do with this, this virus that is intruded into your life and into my life, this, this virus that has so challenged us, has so tried us, and uh, this virus that's difficult to understand, that's difficult to, uh, to be able to make decisions uh, in this life and in this world. What do we do with that? This virus that's so tiny, one billionth of a yardstick, it looks like a soccer ball with spikes and yet it has changed our lives. It has changed this planet that we are living on. So these are the times that try men's souls. Our passage today, I think, speaks to people being challenged by unusual and difficult circumstances. And Paul says to us, as he said to the Philippians, I have learned the secret of contentment. 
that He knows something and He's sharing that something with us. He does not want to keep this secret to Himself because it is too valuable. It is too important. And so He writes to the church, I have learned the secret of being content. I understand contentment. So in times that that disturb and disrupt our lives, Paul is writing to us to say, even in those times, you can experience a sense of contentment. Now, we may accuse Paul of being in circumstances that are not challenging. In other words, we really are living through a difficult period. We are living in the midst of a global pandemic, but Paul is not. But before we make judgments about Paul and his circumstances, we do need to recognize that Paul is writing these words from jail. He had been prosecuted and persecuted and landed in jail because of his preaching on behalf of Jesus Christ. And so he writes from jail and he writes to a church that is living through persecution. So there's credibility in this passage because Paul is not writing from a comfortable home to a people who are all doing well. Paul is is not writing uh, to a culture and to a context where things are easy and things are comfortable. Paul is writing to a people who are under uh, persecution. And he is writing to them from jail. So his words do indeed speak to us. I have learned the secret of being content. Can you, can you get too much of a good thing? I think there are things in lives, in fact, I think most things in life in moderation are fine, but even good things in life to excess can become more than we want and more than we appreciate. One of the things that I enjoy eating is banana pudding, but I do not want 10 bowls of banana pudding every day for 50 days. I don't want that. That's too much of a good thing. We all enjoy a vacation, but I have no interest in in my life being a vacation. There's not enough purpose in that. There's just not enough that keeps my heart alive in that. So vacations are nice in moderation, but excess vacations, living a life that is one big vacation, is something that no one aspires to. No one that I know anyway. So you can have too much of a good thing. But is it possible to have too much contentment? I think we likely would agree that Uh, No, uh, it is not. What is it that Paul is saying here? We lean in as he says, I've got a secret for you. I've got a secret about contentment. Everyone longs for it. Everyone looks for it. And so we lean in to say, tell me the secret. I'm listening carefully and I'm listening closely. The word that he chooses here, for content. The root word is sufficient. The root word is enough. I have enough. There is a second production of the old show MacIver. 
that you have probably watched during the television season. I remember the old MacIver. He found himself in situations that seemed impossible. How could he possibly escape? How could he possibly be delivered from the circumstances that he was experiencing? And he would turn toothpaste and a toothpick into an explosive device that would blow a door open. Or he would take string and, uh, and a paper clip and he would create a zip line. There was always enough. He always came up with enough for his circumstances. Uh, there was always a sufficiency of things that allowed him to be successful. Paul is saying God is enough. Paul finishes this passage with a very familiar verse, I can do all through Him. In other words, Paul is saying, I can do because God is enough. Because God is sufficient. That's what it means to be content, to know, to believe that God is enough. That God can be trusted in every circumstance because God is always enough. Sometimes we're disappointed in enough. A toothpick and toothpaste don't appear to be very much. A string and a paper clip don't see to have great possibilities. But God is enough. And that is the secret of contentment. The other day, uh, Penny and I got up and I went out to the garage. I was going to drive and get us something to drink. And as I raised the garage door and got into my car, I noticed a hummingbird flying uh, in the garage. Evidently, the hummingbird had been in there uh, all night flying around. I hoped that when the garage door came up, the hummingbird would find their way out. So I drove to McDonald's, retrieved some drinks, and came back. And as I was walking back into the house from the garage, I noticed the hummingbird had not found its way out yet. I came into the house, and Penny had prepared some breakfast, and we sat down to eat, and I said, there's another hummingbird in the garage. You see, this had happened about a year and a half ago, and, and that hummingbird, no matter what we did, we could never get it to go out of that big hole, that big garage door hole. We left it up for days, and the hummingbird would never go out. We tried and tried and tried to usher it out, but every time we would get close, the hummingbird would flit away. And one day we woke and we walked out to the garage and the hummingbird had finally died after days in our garage. That was a bummer. So when I came in, I said, we've got another hummingbird in the garage, Penny. I don't I don't know. I hope it doesn't end up the last time. And she said, it won't. And so that day, in increments of maybe a couple of hours apart, 
she would make the effort to help that hummingbird find its way to freedom. That was not a contented bird. It was flying here and yon, bumping into the ceiling and bumping into the wall. And every time you would try to help it, it would fly away from you. She went and got these nets that we have for our pool. And she thought, maybe if I hold them up in such a way, I can usher the hummingbird from the garage. All day, about every two hours, she would go in and make another effort. I joined in the effort. And every time we seemed to be getting close, the hummingbird would fly away. It seems so simple. Why could we not be enough for that bird? Are we going to have another hummingbird uh, die in our garage? I know that doesn't seem like an enormous problem, but it bothers me and it bothers Penny. The hummingbird was becoming exhausted. It was a terribly hot day and it just never stopped flying around in the garage. From time to time, it would light somewhere and we would think now is the time. But as soon as we would get close, it would fly away. We reached the end of the day and were basically about to get ready for bed. It was nine, ten o'clock, somewhere in there. And Penny walked out into the garage and looked, and the hummingbird seemed exhausted. It was standing on a place where you could reach it if you were able to caress it. And she put on those gloves and she walked toward that hummingbird and she reached up and that hummingbird was so exhausted from that day that she was able to, to caress it in her hand. It was covered in spider webs where it had flown into the corners of the garage. And she took that hummingbird and she placed it down on the driveway gently. And it, and it just stood there. She went in the house and she came back out with a little water and she just spilled it on the driveway to see if maybe the hummingbird was desperate for something to drink. And it wasn't. And we stood there and watched. That hummingbird seemed to be in a kind of stupor. But after about five minutes, that hummingbird flapped those wings and began to rise from that pavement and flew away. 
I don't know, the next morning we woke up and there were two hummingbirds in the backyard. I like to think one of them was the one my wife had rescued. My wife was determined to be enough. She was determined to be sufficient for what that hummingbird needed. Paul says, I know the secret of being content. And that is to know and to believe that God is enough. I was reading this week that the composer Bach would mark all of his manuscripts with initials, two initials at the top of the manuscript and three initials at the bottom. The two at the top are JJ, meaning Yesu Yava, Latin, for Jesus' help. So as he sat to compose, his first prayer was, Be enough, O God. Be sufficient for this moment. Help me. And when he reached the end of the composition, the initials SDJ were there, which, which mean for the glory of God alone. Enable me to do what You've gifted me to do, but help me to understand the purpose of it. It is to honor You and it is to glorify You. You and I have gifts and graces that God has given us. And so we call upon God to help us use them. Not for our own honor and glory, for our own satisfaction so much as to glorify God in the way we live and who we are and what we do and how we look at one another and how we relate to one another. I think Bach understood something deeper than the composition. Bob Winstead, who's on our staff here, asked me a few weeks ago, what four words would you say to your 17-year-old self? And I immediately answered, make the most of it. Unfortunately, that's five words, but it's close enough. And the reason that I said that is because I felt like from 17 to 20, I was on this search for contentment. It was an exercise in futility because I was looking in all of the wrong places. But I searched for those three years and I wasted opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. God was sufficient in that time and God was enough in that time. But for some reason, I just kept wasting opportunities. So if I could say something to my 17-year-old self, it would be to realize that God is sufficient, that God is enough, and that contentment comes in realizing that, in knowing that. Paul says, I write from a jail to a people in persecution, and I have learned the secret of being content. It is to understand. It is to believe. It is to hold on to the truth that God is sufficient for us. That God indeed is enough Here is a man who was well acquainted with hardship, 
well acquainted with struggles, well acquainted with what it meant to be challenged and what it meant to be persecuted. And he says, I have learned the secret of what it means to be content. Of what it is to know that God is enough. Admiral William McCracken spoke to the graduating class of 2014 at the University of Texas. It's an excellent speech. He kind of gives them ten rules for the road. And in that speech, he says this to those graduating seniors. McCracken was a Navy SEAL. And he talks about SEAL training. And he said part of the purpose of SEAL training is to push you beyond your limits. It is to... It is to challenge you in ways you've never been challenged before. He said each day there are these long runs and these long swims and these hours of calisthenics that are intended to break you, that are actually intended to make you leave. And and he said there's a standard that exists for uh, the run, the swim, the calisthenics. And if you fall beneath the standard that day, then you're invited at the end of the day to the circus. The circus is two more hours of calisthenics. And the problem with the circus, if you ever go to the circus, then you're beaten down, you're worn out, you're broken beyond what you would have been because you've added two more hours onto your day. And so oftentimes what happens, you fall behind and you don't reach the standard the following day and you end up in a circus once again. And if you're not careful, you will wash out of SEAL training. So no one wants to go to the circus. And McCracken said, at some point, at some time, in your training, you're going to the circus. But he said, here's what happens over time. You're in that extra two hours of calisthenics. You're grinding away physically, punishing your body. But what happens over time in the circus is that you find that you're being strengthened, that you're gaining instead of losing that you're becoming equipped for what you need in that moment, that you're gaining enough to be able to pursue the goal of becoming a Navy SEAL. And then he told those seniors at the University of Texas, there will be times when you are disappointed and there will be times when you fail. There will be times when you fall behind. But if you want to change the world, never be afraid of the circus. Ultimately, it will make you stronger. Being a Christian is not an easy way. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
sometimes it can be so hard. And we can find ourselves frustrated and disappointed and disturbed because we know we're not meeting the standard. We find ourselves in a kind of spiritual circus. Don't be afraid of that. Never fear that. Always be mindful that you know the secret. You know what it is to be content. You know that God is enough. I come in this sanctuary often. I try to find a time when when no one's in here. And I sit in that first pew, or sometimes I stand here. And I look up to the top panels in those stained glass windows. The one on the left is a testament to God the Father. The one in the middle honors Christ the Lord. And the one on the right depicts the Holy Spirit. And there are some days that I stand here and I look at those windows and I think to myself, please be enough. Please be enough in this time. And there are other times I stand here and I look at those three panels and I think to myself, you've always been enough. And you will be enough now. So in the midst of all that we are experiencing, God is enough. I hope that you remember the secret. And I hope this week, in the midst of whatever it is we will be experiencing, you will be mindful and you will believe with every fiber of your being that God is enough for you. So friends... God bless you. And may God grant you the gift of contentment today and always. Amen. I always, well not always, but I sometimes feel like I can relate to the story better if I understand a little bit more historical context. And you gave some in the sermon you said, now you may think Paul's writing this from 
I don't know what you, I can't remember what, how mm-hmm. you put it, but basically Paul's writing this from prison yes. and <laughs> he's writing it to people who are being persecuted yes. for their Christian faith because they're in a Roman colony. That gives me a little bit of context in terms of like, well, Paul had it a lot worse than I do. <laughs> <laughs> And if Paul can be content, uh, you know, in prison, he was probably hungry. He had no money. He was in poverty. Apparently, somebody from Philippi brought him, like they basically took up a an offering for him. <laughs> well, don't you think sometimes, you know, somebody will say something and it may not have as much credibility <clears throat> because of the context of their life? You know, mm-hmm. you ever heard? Like we've all at some point said, well, that's easy for you to say. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Some, uh, I don't thinking of an example. I mean, you know, I've heard ball players who make millions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. say, well, I would play this game for free. Well, okay. That that sounds mm -hmm. good. Easy for you to say from your high horse over there. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, but this interestingly enough is, is, a situation mm-hmm. in which you think, wow, what an interesting place to be talking about contentment. Yeah, he certainly and, has and a lot of credibility in this situation. Yeah, that's right. It does. It gives him credibility by virtue of the fact that he's in jail and he's writing to people who are going through a very tough, tough period. And, mm-hmm. you know, when he says that, I mean, he talks about having plenty and having nothing and you know what I mean mm-hmm. those he he contrasts those things and so <clears throat> I think he does he's worthy of being heard sure the other yeah. thing that it puts into context for me is into perspective for me is we as present day Christians know nothing of religious persecution would you say that's a fair statement I would say that <clears throat> that's a fair statement in, you know, in most parts of the world. I, I think mean, yeah, in, Ameri- in America. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I would say that uh, some of the things that we think might be in the category of persecution uh, would not necessarily be. Mm-hmm. Anything I would consider to be particularly oppressive, harsh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't think that that my sense of of awareness about being a Christian in this culture includes a lot of fear Mm-mm. or concern about being persecuted. Yeah. No. No. Maybe if you were Muslim or Jewish, even. Maybe, yeah, we've seen that certainly happen. Yeah, I guess it's a fair statement if you say, I'm a white American Christian. I've never been afraid to go to church. But, you know, you've talked about even in Charleston, which is not that far from here, you know, there have been times where black congregations have been targeted during worship, you know. But that's not on on the basis of their faith. No, I think that's a racial issue, not Mm -hmm. a religious issue so much.
Something else I was wondering about is how much do you agonize over word choice or language or, you know, intended meaning versus what you're worried people might think about what you're saying? There are, you know, several things that, you know, words in this sermon where I where I thought, I think that was probably very purposeful that he chose that that word. But what do you, is there anything you have thought about that? Yes, because I think, I think language, I think word choice is important. Uh, you know, there's certain things <clears throat> just by the choice of the word that are the phrase, the words that are put together that, uh, that may make it, it may make it more easy easier to remember hmm. it it can certainly communicate in greater specificity your word choice can mm-hmm. and and so yes i believe in the power of words and i think <clears throat> as a preacher uh, clearly we we think carefully about words now one of the challenges that i have is the if I preached from notes, I could be even, you know, more careful mm-hmm. because I'm trying to summon words as I'm as I'm preaching. But right. I'm trying to be careful in in, the, in in that choice and such. I mean, I remember reading years ago about, you know, Franklin Roosevelt uh, talking about Pearl Harbor, and we have all seen the old black and white. Mm-hmm. films and mm-hmm. roosevelt says this you know this is a day that will live in infamy right and and initially when they wrote the speech it was said this is a day that will live in history mm. well it's interesting you know just one mm-hmm. one word change pretty but powerful think, change yeah i think that that mattered yeah. uh, you know so so i do think words are important yes well i was and, thinking uh, like specifically about the word contentment the origin of that word really relating more to sufficiency um mm-hmm. i really kind of grabbed onto that i'd gravitate more to that word sufficiency mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. contentment and and i guess the trouble i'm having with contentment and i'm hoping you can help me parse this out is um you know, we talked actually last time, the last podcast talk we had about never not being um, satisfied enough to where that becomes apathy or even ignorance um, mm-hmm. and not wanting to grow. Mm-hmm. And so where where I feel the tension in my own body is contentment in terms of enough Um for myself, I, that does not feel like a rub. Like, yes, God is God. God is sufficient for my belongings. God is sufficient for uh, trying times. God is sufficient for struggle and suffering. Um, but then, when I kind of try to put that into a broader context of of growth, even individual and societal that's kind of where i'm getting stuck intellectually i do think contentment can can mean for us well i like my life and i'm fine with my life and i don't want it to be interrupted Mm -hmm. and i don't want anything intrusive to come into it because i'm content with with the way the way things are 
Mm-hmm. And and that does not apply anytime. I'll be honest. I usually would say, you know, when I get too comfortable mm-hmm. with with my life, mm-hmm. you know, when okay, I'm in a real comfortable place. <laughs> and in that sense, I'm in this that kind of if you want to use the word contented place, you know, mm-hmm. I'm in this comfortable place. <clears throat> I get this sense that God is about to move me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mean physically. Mm-hmm. I just mean God is about to move me mm-hmm. off that spot mm-hmm. because I think God is interested in our growth. Right. I don't, I don't think God is interested in our stagnation. And so right. if content means comfortable and I'm good and I just want to be kind of allowed to stay where I am, Mm-hmm. mentally mm-hmm. and spiritually and then <laughs> that life's gonna get in I, the way of that <laughs> yeah, yeah i think so i mean god is about to say okay it's time for you to grow you know what i mean yeah that's what i think that's, that's just in my own in my own thoughts yeah but i think the contentment paul is talking about is the the ability the the faith uh, the experience that allows us always to be mindful that God is, is enough. God has always been enough and God will be mm-hmm. enough for this time too. And that doesn't mean mm-hmm. it will be easy and it will be, you know, I'd love to no. stay in this place forever. Maybe not, Mm-mm. but, Mm-mm. but God is, God is going to provide God yeah. is going to God's grace. You know, the Bible says is sufficient. Mm-hmm. And and so I, that, that I think is a different yeah, concept. I like that word and, sufficient. I mean, I'm just going to mm. stick with sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, that implies uh, another dimension that I think gets to where Paul is when he's writing this is he's at the lowest of the low. Like yes. he is in jail. I mean, he could very easily have given up hope he could have given up his, in his quest to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that Christ came to save humanity. Like he could have just, and he probably could have, you know, gotten out of jail. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Or not been thrown in jail in the first place. It, some of, some of the time, maybe. Um, but, he was at his lowest, and I think that's when we can see the sufficiency. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, you know, I think it's just a, a different, slightly different dimension of contentedness mm-hmm. where you can be maybe, you know, it feels like you should give up hope and you should just lose faith and, and all that. But instead, I think God can use that to, yeah, to help grow you and help to teach god is not the author of our of suffering in the world yeah i don't see god as creating our suffering Mm -hmm. now i see god as redeeming it Mm -hmm. i wrote this down and i think it can take us to the hummingbird story but I, Uh i wrote sometimes it takes being at our lowest to discover that when we come down god will provide comfort in our despair and helps us grow in love, grace, and hope. And because that, your hummingbird story, and back to the language thing, sometimes things are best communicated in direct language with, you know, you're saying what you mean, and you mean what you say. But then there's sometimes where an, a story or a metaphor or an analogy kind of, because it's not direct, 
can really get more to the heart of, of what you're trying to say. And I think a lot of times I've seen in stories you've chosen that that is for me, what really drives it home. Like the, the deeper meaning of it. Um, so I really liked your hummingbird story. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could just picture Penny, you know, (laughs) and, you know, trying to save that poor hummingbird, but <laughs> just how did it get trapped in there in the first place? I know it. It's just, we leave our garage door up a lot, you know, especially uh-huh. if we're here and especially in the summertime when it can get so hot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and man, when, when this is the second time, I think I said, and first time didn't work out at all. Mm-hmm. And this time it, it did. And we both kind of high-fived each other when (laughs) hummingbirds are matthew's favorite he loves them yes every time one shows up at i have a little we have a little feeder outside Mm -hmm. my office window and every time we're both in there and we see one he's like there's a hummingbird it's there (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) well i've never seen one so tired and just so you know Mm -hmm. completely out of energy that you know, because they're just, they're, they're constant movement. Right. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and uh, she finally just reached up and kind of caressed it in her hand. Mm. <laughs> and then that, that, that is one exhausted hummingbird. And then she yeah. just, you know, put it down on the ground and, like I say, pitched a little water Aww. down there to see if, if the, the hummingbird wanted any. the sweetest thing. <laughs> that we watched, you know, and it eventually flittered away and yeah. was okay. So, uh, but I, you know, I kind of see myself in, in uh, the hummingbird. Uh-huh. I mean, there are times I have felt that God was trying to give me something. God was trying to offer me something, and I just was confused and and didn't receive what you know mm. god was offering and i continued to i don't know run from it or mm-hmm. be afraid of it or yeah know, and, the and that was, was in yeah, distress was me. Exactly. i mean it was it was in distress and it was in panic it was trying to hi- fly to the highest corners of the garage yes, thinking that was how right. it's going to get out exactly and i can so see that in my own you know existence and where we're just trying our best and we think we're going to muscle our way through it <laughs> and we think we can do it on our own you know even in horrible distressing circumstances and then that hummingbird had to just stop and surrender to to Penny. Penny's God yes. in this story, by the way. You know, I mean that's <laughs> no, pretty yeah, clear. No, no, you're right though. <laughs> I mean, and and that's a good word you just chose, I think. And surrender has a lot of negative connotations, mm-hmm. I think, in our in our culture, you know, in our society, that's a kind of giving up. Right. Uh, you know, you raise the white flag and that means that, you know, you, you're, you lose, you've been defeated. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and in the, and in the gospel, uh, surrender it has positive connotations to it from the standpoint of what you just said. Yeah. The hummingbird finally surrendered. And, and at that point they were given life, they were mm-hmm. given freedom. Mm-hmm. And I think in my own life, you know, there have been times when 
I surrendered, and that was the pathway to freedom. And yeah. we tend to think surrender is a pathway to failure, mm-hmm. not freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's it's just interesting sometimes how we may look at things and uh, how we may experience things. But as a Christian, I've come to see the value of surrender, yeah. whereas I think culturally that will that's not always true. And I and I understand that. But in, in our faith and in our relationship with God, I think surrender is an important dynamic in that relationship. And my mm-hmm. refusal to do that mm-hmm. often leads to exhaustion, <laughs> yeah. like the hummingbird. I'm yeah. just exhausted trying to just do it on my own. I'm mm-hmm. exhausted, you know, and God is saying, hey, I'm enough for you. Well, I know, but not really. I, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. it's as if I don't behave it's like I don't behave as if I believe that God is enough. Right. Yeah. You know, and I kind of frantically try to repair something or do something on my own. So Um, it's almost like, you know, Paul was so convicted that he had heard the call on his life and had, you know, he had gone from persecuting Christians, you know, the one in horrible ways to, you know, complete flip-flop of, you know, trying to build the Christian community in that region. And then it's almost like we wouldn't have these letters from Paul, some of them, maybe all of them, if if he hadn't had to suffer for, for on behalf of of what he had heard his call to be. I mean, something beautiful came out of a great suffering. One of the things that I think is important about Christianity and the life of Christ is I think it it has relevancy. It has practical application upon our lives, even in 2020, even, you know, 2000 years later. You know, I've always said, I think Jesus is a real practical theologian. Mm -hmm. I think he spoke to some practical issues, Mm -hmm. you know, about relationships. I Mm -hmm. mean, that's about as, uh, you know, that's about as fundamental and foundational as we can get. I mean, Mm -hmm. and he talked to, he talked not just about, you know, love your neighbor as yourself and love one another the way I've loved you. But then he told stories to illustrate that, mm-hmm. you know, stories that people could enter into and understand. I mean, and see he talks themselves about, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's a practical application. And, and I think, you know, to me, there's great value in that because I think Jesus speaks to some real fundamental issues in our lives and says to us that his teaching applies to those to those issues, and that's timeless. And mm-hmm. and I've always, I've always kind of thought I don't want to overstate this, but you know, if if <clears throat> if our faith isn't relevant to our living, then what? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> what's, what's the point. The point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and if all of it's heady and all of it is just kind of esoteric and 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 great something great to think about Mm, mm -hmm. but but there's not really any okay today is there 
does this apply right. to my life? What I think, what I say, what I do, and I, I'm convinced it does. Oh yeah, and I, I mean, think, and I think we have a yearning for that, don't you? If we can yeah. ever just kind of make ourselves available <laughs> to it. I mean, there have been times, even over this pandemic, it's been five months now. By the way, did you know that? Mm. Um, over this, and and directly related to you too, like in my job responsibilities there have been times when i've come to you and i'm like what in the world is my job right now because i don't know what my job is i want to be contributing and i want to be working and i'm just not sure what what i'm even supposed to be doing right now and i'm just i was just trying to hold it so tightly and trying to be on my time and and if i i think if i just give up my timeline, <laughs> kind of give up my, you know, that it's always going to lead somewhere like, you know, more beautiful and more fulfilling than, than if I got my way. Thank goodness yeah. we don't always get our way, you know, <laughs> Thank, mm -hmm. thankfully, you know, God usually gets God's way. <laughs> When you say that, it, it, it makes me mindful of uh, Jeremiah in 29, 11, mm -hmm. which is a verse that, that we like that to down. quote a lot. It's, mm -hmm. it's beautiful because it's it's like uh, I'm, God is saying to us, I know the plans I have for you. Mm -hmm. in, in other words, I, I have I have a story for you to write. Yeah. You know, I have plans for you, and sometimes we're trying to make our own plans is that make, like mm -hmm. i wrote we're god, in this... yeah i wrote god <laughs> does ahead. not want us to stay at the bottom god has plans for a hope and a future to prosper yeah. us i mean yes i can find contentment in the lowest of circumstances but i can like i can know that if that if it's not okay and you've said this before if it's not okay if this feels horrible and it feels like it's never going to end that it's actually not the end you know no. Like just with Penny, um, you know, Penny didn't want that hummingbird to die. <laughs> you no. Know? Penny wanted that hummingbird to live. And when it surrendered to her and she was able to put it down and give it water, she nur nourished it back to life. And like you said, I mean, I like to imagine that one of those hummingbirds you saw the next day was that hummingbird. Yeah, me <laughs> you know? too. Penny did too. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm ho I hope that it's thriving somewhere. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure God hopes that too for us. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at Athens First UMC. Oh Lord, I'm